0: As I said, we're going to look at that uh, story of the lame beggar in, uh, in Acts and chapter 3 to verse to chapter 4, 22. And I actually prepared from the ESV Bible, sorry about that, the English Standard Version, which is the one I use on a day-to-day basis, and I forgot you use the NIV. But it's all the same, isn't it? Or at least very similar. I'd say the ESV is better, but we won't go into that right now. But uh, now Peter and John were... Going to the, hour, uh, to the temple at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour, we read in chapter 3, verse 1. And a lame man, a man lame from birth, was being carried where they laid him daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. And uh, it's true even today that beggars often have their own patch. And uh, certainly in, in London, where I go quite a lot, I notice the, uh, the beggars have their own patch. Many of them, and maybe it's not politically correct to call them beggars, they're selling big issue these days, uh, and, and others are begging, others are just sitting there holding out a pot, a form of begging, and, uh, and they're there every single day. But the, the strange thing is, and maybe the awful thing is, I often don't notice them when they're there, the time I notice them is when they're not there, and you think... Where's he today? I hope he's all right. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Because beggars tend to have their own patch. And this beggar, the lame man, had been uh, begging at this gate for years. We know he was 40 years of age and he was standing by the beautiful gate. The beautiful gate which a lot of people entered when they went to prayer. Why was the beautiful gate called the beautiful gate? Because it was beautiful. It was made of Corinthian brass. It was 72 feet high, two great big double doors. And so when you walked through that beautiful gate, you'd notice the lame man. And you'd certainly notice if for whatever reason he wasn't there. It's interesting, Luke, of course, Luke who wrote Luke's Gospel, he recorded uh, Acts of the Apostles, he was a physician. And he recorded lots of things, he would have noted lots of things, like the man was lame from birth, like the fact that uh, he was 40 years of age, Uh, like the fact that presumably he had to be carried there every single day, presumably by his family or his friends would have to bring him to the beautiful gate. And seeing, in verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. He asked them for money. And verse 4, Peter directed his gaze, uh, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention upon them, expecting to receive something from them. That's interesting in itself, isn't it, really? Uh, I, I'm assuming that most people uh, would, would have simply just dropped some small change into the bowl as, as they went by. And uh, I imagine that most people wouldn't, uh, wouldn't even talk to the blind beggar, let alone engage them in conversation. When did you last say to somebody, look at me, look, look at me? Most likely a child, wasn't it? you know when they're packing their school bag look at me mind the roads I want to get your attention our youngest son uh, thomas he got married a couple of weeks ago and uh, he went to hawaii and Jackie, she, my wife, she read about somebody being eaten by a shark in Barbados, which as Charlie knows is nowhere near Hawaii. But she still sent them a look at me text. Look at me. Listen to this text. Don't go near the sharks because they can eat you. Look at me. I've got something important to say to you. And so the blind, uh, the blind he wasn't blind, was a lame beggar sitting there, just expecting to receive a couple of pens or not, maybe a kick on the way by. Somebody said, look at me, silver and gold, you know the story, don't you? Have I none, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Well, that must have been a conversation stopper for anyone who heard them say that. You know, people, what was what's for lunch today? Well, can I have to do with a cup of coffee? Walking into the temple, and you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. People in the vicinity must have stopped, wasn't they? What would happen next? Like a question of sport, isn't it? When they, you know, do a foul or do a, just about to kick the ball, stop it. What happens next? Well, you know what happens next, don't you? You see, Peter didn't just stand back himself and look and say, is, Jesus going, is God going to work this miracle in this man's life? Will it work, what I've just said? Not at all. It it said that he had faith, he had confidence, we know he was unquestioning. And in the same way that Jesus, when he raised up Jairus' daughter, he reached out his hand to Jairus' daughter and pulled her up. In the same way, Peter, it says here in verse 7 of chapter 3, reached out his hand, grabbed the man by the right hand and pulled him up and immediately his feet became strong. Immediately, his ankles were strong. He was not struggling like a newborn foal, trying to regain his feet, having never walked before in his life. And he leapt to his feet. And in verse 8, we read, And leaping up, he stood to his feet and began to walk, walking with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Why did he continue to leap? Because he could. When did you last leap, by the way? Le- leaping, leaping is great fun. We had uh, Thomas's wedding, as I said to you, a couple of weeks ago, which is a very civilized affair, until they have a band in the evening, you know, a bit of a dance, and, uh, which is a bit of an excuse for dad dancing. And dad dancing includes leaping. So uh, you don't want to imagine that, do you? But I did a bit of leaping. I won't do it now, because it'll upset you. Leaping. And we're very happy that Thomas got married. Leaping. It's good fun to leap, maybe do it when you get home and mind your ankles when you land. But that's fantastic, isn't it? And this man, he walked and he leapt for joy. That's fantastic, isn't it? To leap for joy because of what God had done, because he, he he could. What a picture. Peter's faith. The man's incredible joy, praising God. Because there was no doubt in that man's mind, it wasn't Peter or John who performed that miracle. He was praising God. It was an incredible witness to the power of God. And verse 9 says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him. Of course they did, as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people were utterly astounded together, uh, and, and ran together with them into the portico, portico called Solomon's. This was not, this was not like the, the, uh, John chapter 9, you know, when Jesus healed the blind boy. Uh, when, when, uh, when the Pharisees said, well, you know, was he, was he really blind in the first place? Ah, maybe he wasn't blind in the first place. Which he was, of course. No one could dispute this one. Everyone knew the 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 lame man. Everyone knew him. There was no dispute that he wasn't lame in the first place. This is the beggar who everyone recognized because they went there every single day through the beautiful gate to pray. Here was the lame man clutching Peter and John, walking together and leaping and praising God as he went to the temple. And the people were utterly astounded. Fantastic phrase, isn't it? utterly astounded and Peter saw them and he addressed them he said men of Israel why do you wonder at this that's a question isn't it or why do you stare at us as though it's by our own power or piety that we'd made him walk you see Peter had faith Peter had faith to immediately reach out and grab this man by the right hand and pull him to the street. This demonstrates there was absolutely no doubt in Peter's mind regarding his faith in God and the power of God. One of my dad's favourite books was uh, uh, The Dwelling Place of God by A.W. Tozer. And Tozer talks about true faith that rests upon the character of God and asks no further proof than the moral perfections of the one who cannot lie. He talks about faith as the Bible knows it, which is confidence in God and in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That faith is a gift of God to the penitent soul. Faith is a miracle. It is the ability that God gives us to trust in his son. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us, although it's by our own power, or our own piety, that we've made him walk? In fact, for those who heard what Peter said, they would know, wouldn't they? They would know how he did it, because they would have heard what he said. I haven't got any money, but what I have give got, I'll give to you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Rise up and walk. It was in Jesus' name. And in verse 13, he spoke about Jesus of Nazareth. Peter never lacked an opportunity, did he, to talk about Jesus. He said to the people, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, who you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. And when he decided to release him, you denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be released in his place. And you killed the author of life. That must have been very uncomfortable to listen to, mustn't it? You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, made this man strong, whom you see and know. And by faith, says Peter, that is through Jesus, has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Why does this surprise you? Why does this surprise you? And pointing at the man who had been lame, he said, why does this surprise you, this miracle? Why do you stare at us, pointing at himself and to John, as if it had been our own power that had done this? And of course, instead... He pointed at Jesus, didn't he? He redirected their gaze towards Jesus, by whose powerful name that miracle had taken place. It was in the name of Jesus. And by the way, think about what you did to Jesus. Peter doesn't let them off, of course, but he does go on to say, and now, brothers, in verse 17, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So Peter directed the gaze away from the healed man, away from themselves, and to Jesus, whom men disowned by killing him. But God vindicated him by raising him again, and whose name uh, was strong enough to heal that man completely. Peter was uh, preaching about Jesus and in verse 19 he cut to the quick. Verse 19 he said, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be forgiven. Peter didn't beat around the bush, did he? He included the the sin of killing the author of life. Repent that your sins may be forgiven and blotted out. We know the story, don't we? It's a fantastic story. That your sins may be blotted out, wiped out. The slate wiped clean. We used to sing, didn't we? Though your skin, your sins be as scarlet, they become whiter than snow. Remembered no more. Not just forgiven. God forgets our sins absolutely completely. And therefore, in chapter 3 and verse 19... Peter says, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about God, which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. You see, Jesus would not only forgive them, he would send them a time of refreshing. Fantastic, isn't it? Maybe it was a bit hot for you yesterday and uh, you wanted a, a time of refreshment. I watched some kids in London uh, earlier in the week playing in those fountains that shoot up from the ground. You know what it's like. Maybe you never played in them because they weren't invented when most of us were young, were they? But, but um but, you know, they shoot up. You don't know when they're going to come up. And they were playing. They got all their school outfits completely drenched. Time of refreshment. Fantastic, isn't it? How we long for that time of refreshment. That's what Jesus gives us. Not just forgiveness. He gives us a time of refreshment, restoration and regeneration. This is what the prophets spoke of long ago. And though most people in the crowd would have known their scriptures At the moment, Dawn, I'm going through the Bible. I'm at Deuteronomy. And uh, you must have, all of you, read through the Old Testament probably time and time again. It's heavy going, isn't it? And there are times when you think, hang on a minute. I've read this bit. Um, Didn't I read it? Maybe I've got the bookmark in the wrong place. By the way, a paperback Bible is very good. I recommend it because it doesn't matter what happens to it, does it? You've got to respect it, but you can turn the pages and that kind of thing. You think you've read it before, you haven't read it before, or maybe you have some time ago. The fact is the Bible is repetitive, keeps repeating it, doesn't it? The message, the Old Testament prophecies, prophets keep repeating to the people of Israel because they forget. They not only forget, they disobey. Even when Moses went up on the mountain to to collect the, the Ten Commandments, he came down, they built a golden calf. They're so stupid. They forget. We forget, don't we? We forget so soon. Even as Peter mentioned the sufferings of Jesus, they had to, be, it had to be to fulfill the scriptures. And here in verse 22, Peter speaks about Moses. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet will be destroyed for all the people. That's amazing, isn't it? All this Bible, all this bit here, was all written, the Old Testament, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Leading up to this very point when the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth. How many years before the birth of Jesus on earth was Moses on earth? I don't know, by the way, so someone tell me. No. It was hundreds, wasn't it? Hundreds of years. Ridiculous. Hundreds of years. And yet he predicted it because God told him. You are the sons of the prophets of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham and to your offspring that, that uh, shall the families be, on earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. What's well, fantastic, isn't it? That's what Moses predicted. He's sending a prophet, he's sending his son to turn you all away from your wickedness. And what happened? We know what happened, don't we? This is what God did. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your fathers. He made a covenant. God, having raised his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. God planned it. He prophesied it via the prophets, and he carried out his purpose through the Lord Jesus Christ. God's redemption of man. And of course, that wasn't the end of the story, is it? Was it, I should say, not is it? And of course, we know in the world, don't we, you can talk about church. Uh, you can th- turn on Thought for the Day and you hear lots of fine words on the radio. You can talk about religion. And it's almost acceptable these days, isn't it, to talk about religion, spirituality, and all that kind of thing. But as soon as you mention the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, something happens. Because there is power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It always provokes a reaction. And here it provoked a reaction. Not only was the lame man healed, but of course along came the Sadducees, the ruling classes, the aristocrats of the day. Politically they they integrated themselves with the Romans and followed a policy of collaboration. So they, uh, they, um, they feared the subversive reactions of the apostles' teaching. Theologically, they believed that the Messianic age had begun in the Maccabean period, so they weren't looking for a Messiah. They also denied the doctrine of the resurrection, as a lot of people do, the resurrection from the dead, which which the apostles uh, proclaimed in Jesus. They saw the apostles as both agitators and heretics, both disturbers of the peace and enemies of the truth. And, it says in the scriptures, they were greatly annoyed. They were greatly annoyed. And, um, so hence, as the apostles in chapter 4 were speaking to the people, the priests and the captives in the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, because it was already evening. So the captain of the temple came along. He was like the chief of police. Bit late in the day, bit of a bureaucrat. Probably his wife had the tea on the table. So he thought, sort it out tomorrow, lock him up overnight, go home. That's exactly what happened. And, uh, and so just uh, he, he, um, he really wanted to put a stop to all of this and uh, just about when you read the next verse about what happened the next day you come across uh, verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse 4 which was that many who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000 so after the head of the Sadducees had gone for his supper there were 5,000 men plus the women and children because they didn't count them in those days, did they? Thousands of people who were newly converted, who were born again through seeing that miracle take place. That's absolutely fantastic. Thousands of lives were changed. So here we go, and I've got to hurry up because it's getting uh, late and hot and all that kind of thing. I'm probably hotter than you. The um, chapters four and five, uh, Chapters 4, verse 5. The Sanhedrin, who consisted of 71 members presided over by the high priest including the elders and the teachers of the law very rich people very uh, clever people including Annas including Caiaphas who had figured predominantly in the trial and the condemnation of Jesus what an audience what a frightening audience for Peter and John but what a fantastic audience The same men who had condemned Jesus were the people who Peter and John were talking today. And it must have crossed Peter and John's mind what happened to Jesus could also happen to them. And yet we read in the scripture, and yet Peter spoke with boldness. The next day... Their rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas and John, Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they said, By what power, by what name did you do this? Well, Peter must have relished that question, mustn't he? That's the question that he was waiting for. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers of the people of, uh, and the elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, what could be objectionable about that? Nothing. You couldn't object to that, could you? But if we are being examined today Uh, Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel That it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth And again he he pointed straight to Jesus Which would have made the council extremely uncomfortable Because he was pointed to Jesus And then what did he do? He made them feel even more uncomfortable Pointing to Jesus who you crucified But who God raised from the dead By him, this man is standing before you. And that's the third time that that Peter had mentioned this. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. The stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone. Quoting from Psalm and chapter 118, which of course they must have known. And so Peter moves with ease from healing to salvation, from the particular to the general. His two negatives were this. His two negatives were there is no one else and no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. And then he proclaimed the positive. It is by his death, his resurrection, his exaltation and his authority by constituting him the one and only saviour that this man has been healed and then in verse 4 and chapter 12 he says and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven among men by which man can be saved that was Peter's elevator pitch now I know I haven't got long here this morning because you're getting hot and it's it's 11 o'clock so we're going to sing our last hymn in a minute so you've got to keep your sermon short haven't you But if you're standing before somebody who's likely to chop your head off, you've got to keep it even shorter. If this is your one opportunity to communicate, by the way, don't do that to me, but to communicate to the Sadducees, the rulers of the day, this is your one opportunity, 71 of them, including the high priest, you better blurt it out pretty quickly. He was very bold and so what did he say? He said, there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. That was his elevator pitch. It is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who you crucified, but God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name in heaven given to mankind by which we may be saved. Well, aren't I being lazy today? Because I didn't have to prepare a sermon, did I? All I've done is I've told you Peter's sermon. I rely upon what he said. people say well you know sermons today have got to have an application haven't they got to have an application for the 21st century in which we live we don't need to apply this one do you it is that's the application and that's why Peter preached such short sermons because his message was clear the message is unchanged and he didn't have much time in case they chopped his head off and we have to finish don't we Not because you chop my head off, because the the roast will burn or whatever you have. You don't have a roast today, do you? The salad will curl up. But but please imagine, please imagine the scene. I'm sure you can. This last scene that was read to us earlier on. The uh, portion of the Bible. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed was standing beside them, they had nothing else to say in opposition. But when he had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them. And it's evident that all the inhabitants to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order uh, that it may spread no further among the people, let's warn them not to speak uh, more uh, regarding anyone in his name. So um, they called them, as you know, you know the story, don't you? They called them and they charged them and they said, don't speak any more about the Lord Jesus Christ from Nazareth. And Peter answered them, didn't he? Whether it is right in the sight of God... To listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. And when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because the people were all praising God for what had happened, for the man upon whom the miracle had been performed was more than 40 years old.